Well, this man, who wants believed to be a behind a, a high-profile murder, is out of jail tonight. Prosecutors dropped the murder charge against Saeed Abid, a former UCM student accused in a murder-for-hire case. Now, Zach Tecklenburg spent all day looking into this sudden turn of the case. Zach? 24-year-old Ziad Abid had been stuck in the Johnson County, Missouri jail for 11 months. Now there's nothing to hold him on because of some unreliable testimony. This case has been very unusual from the beginning. Ziad Abid's attorney says it all started with a two-and-a-half-hour-long interview between accused hitman Reginald Singletary Jr. and Warrensburg police. I believe what led to him being charged in the first place is that police told Reginald Singletary what to say. Pete Peters alleges police led Singletary to unrightfully accuse Abid of hiring him to kill popular bar owner Blaine Whitworth. When you lead somebody and tell them what to say and then they say what you have told them to, that's not very good investigation. Peters says that's what led Johnson County prosecuting attorney Lynn Stoppy to dismiss Abid's charges of first-degree murder and armed criminal action. The case began last September when 25-year-old Whitworth was found shot to death in front of his home. Abid has tried to get out of jail. The Saudi Arabian government posted $2 million bond, but the judge refused, believing Abid was a flight risk. His attorney says today is vindicating. From the very first interview of Mr. Mr. Singletary, as we've related in pleadings, the, the story that was being told was simply incredible. Whitworth's family released a statement saying they're disappointed, but that they'll rely on the judicial system to carry out justice. All Warrensburg Police Chief Bruce Howey has said is that he's also disappointed the charges have been dropped. Abid is now in custody of federal agents. He was in the country on a student visa, which has since expired. That now needs to be worked out. His attorney says he's unsure whether Abid will stay in the U.S. or go back to Saudi Arabia. In the newsroom, Zach Tecklenburg, 41 Action News. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Next Report, Unix and Overlook Pop Culture. I'm Thomas. I am Mitchell Brown. I'm Zach Dotson. Um, today we are going to be talking about kind of a follow-up to an episode that was done several, several, several weeks ago, a long, long time ago. A couple months. After, for those of you who might have never, this is your first time checking this out, episode 14. That's right, and Zach was not on board at the time, but what had happened goes all the way back to September 2012. Lane Whitworth, a known bar owner, was shot and murdered. Uh, people everywhere, practically everywhere, thought it was a murder for hire. I, yeah, I wouldn't say where. I would say a lot of, I would say there's a general consensus. Yeah, the the dominant town. narrative in Warrensburg was, was that it was a murder for hire. And that, that still seems to be the dominant narrative in most people's minds. Right. And the thing, thing right now is, it, and that's what happens when not all the information is revealed. It was uh, kind of, we talked about it, Mitchell brought up the Associated Press article by Bill Draper regarding the fact that he was still in jail despite $2 million being deposited into the court's account, and what had happened afterwards was uh, we got feedback on our fan page, <laughs> and um, um, just to let people know, Mr. Lyons, the door is still open. It will always be open. I really don't think he's going to take you up on it. I really don't think he's going to take us up on it. Um, all the same, the door is still open, but... With that said, um, it's called media criticism for a reason. And if one reacts... What? Hold on, you mean the First Amendment actually pl applies to other people criticizing other people and things that I don't necessarily like? Shock and dismay. 
<laughs> Basically, if you can't, if one cannot handle that very well, then they may need, they may consider finding another profession altogether. Um, so, but I shock and dismay. Even if they're the managing editor of the Mule Skinner, you don't get to the top of that mountain by being a slouch. Um, <laughs> before we get into everything, Zach. What was your first reaction to to the whole news coming out? First of when when it was first reported that Whitworth was murdered, two suspects were apprehended, and all the way up to here. Um, well, uh, about four days after the murder took place, I think the murder took place on September first of yeah, two thousand. That's correct. Uh, I think on September fourth or fifth, if memory serves me correctly. Uh, Singletary and or Bede were taken into uh, custody and then obviously later charged with um, first-degree murder charges. Um, I-, I was initially shocked when I saw the name Ziada Bede. Uh, I was in a special projects for Arabic at the University of Central Missouri um, several years back when UCM still offered Arabic. And Ziada Bede was a student in my class. I sat next to him for an entire semester. So, uh, I mean, immediately... Uh, shock um, that this transpired, uh, especially with somebody that uh, I at least knew of. He was in my class. He sat, literally sat right next to me. Uh, but when the charges were dropped. <clears throat> um, I I wasn't necessarily surprised. The evidence that was presented against a bead from the start was shaky at best. And I know that there are going to be a lot of listeners who have a lot of very emotional reactions to the content of this episode, and rightfully so. A lot of people knew Singletary, a lot of people knew Abid, a lot of people knew Whitworth, and so we have a we have a lot of different social dynamics at work here, a lot of different um, stories, and like you mentioned earlier, there's still a lot of evidence that from this investigation that hasn't been made public and probably will not make. Um, any headlines, it'll just kind of be pushed into the files, so to speak. But, like I said earlier, the charges presented, the evidence against a bead wasn't very substantial to begin with. He was in police custody in jail for 11 months um, from September of 2012 to just this past week. And he was in jail basically because Singletary, uh, when he was being, um, when he was being interrogated by police, he had mentioned that a bead put him up to it, that he had been paid by a bead to um, commit the uh, murder. But the accounts from Singletary have changed multiple times from day one. If you, uh, for all of, our, all of our listeners who've been keeping um, a note on all the quote unquote evidence that has been presented so far that's been made public. We heard Singletary say that you know a gang told him to commit the murder. The mo- some uh, accounts from like the Examiner and the Kansas City Star uh, suggest that Singletary told police that uh, the mafia put him up to it, and then we have a, uh, a bead putting him up to it. So the the accounts from Singletary, who uh, was the only real evidence that was against a bead just kept changing. And so eventually the case, the evidence presented against Abid just fell through. The state didn't have any other substantial witnesses to bring in. They just had various accounts of he said, she said. And frankly speaking, you need a little bit more than that in order to present a first-degree murder charge in any state, regardless or regardless of you know what the statutes are. The question that then comes to mind while you were speaking is if there if we as there is a lack of evidence, a lack of physical evidence, no paper trail, no uh, requested emails or text messages detailing the the alleged plot. So with the lack of physical evidence and only going on the word of mouth of the person who admitted to killing Whitworth how did that become the dominant narrative? How does just verbal, no physical, uh, as you want to frame it, as he, say, she, he said, she said, 
How did that become the dominant narrative? Um, I'm not sure. Um, I think whenever you have charges like these brought up against people, the, the people who have these charges brought against them are usually speak in moments of desperation. I mean, they were just arrested. They're being interrogated by police. There's a lot of... They, they have their own personal conflicting emotions just with the act itself, let alone right. trying to account for the act. And then we have kind of spotty evidence that has been made available to the public. So I'm not sure exactly why the murder for hire narrative was was the dominant narrative. I'm not I, I'm not dismissing it as being completely inaccurate. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that it's, it's still the, the the amount of evidence for that narrative is tantamount for the amount of evidence that for all these other narratives that have become less popular over the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, just on a uh, just on a terms of a methodological level, uh, Ziada B came from a pretty prominent family, and um, uh, people who know Ziada B um, or knew of Ziada B before all this transpired. You know, knew that he drove a flashy car. They knew that he was a well-dressed person. He knew that they, everybody knew that he came from a pretty well-established family financially, and so the idea that Ziada Bede, who some say were in negotiations to with Whitworth to either co-own a bar or or maybe buy a bar out, and then those negotiations fell through, it becomes a little. It, the, the murder for hire narrative gains more credence because mm-hmm. Yadavi came from a prominent family. Because someone he has, has the financial resources. If someone has the means to do it, isn't necessarily. Uh, com- it's not the smoking gun, so to speak. It's not exactly. indicators of guilt. The smoking gun was in Singletary's hand, right? Allegedly, or what? What came out of his mouth, right? And and let it be known that Singletary, to this day, um, uh, there there's some accounts from various local and and national newspapers that suggest that although Singletary has, has admitted to police that he shot Whitworth, some of these local sources and these national sources are saying that he's still pleading not guilty. So I'm not exactly sure well, at this point you, I mean, what, what, it, what well, I mean, I think is. that's if, like, if you've ever seen the movie Shawshank Redemption, uh, Tim, Tim, who was, who was the main character? Not, it's not Tim Roth, because he's British, but. Who's Susan Sarandon's husband? Who's in that movie? Uh, Tim Robbins, I think. That's uh, it. And I, he says I, I he's a, oh, he he is framed, and he's all like asking people, "What did they do?" And another inmate says, "I didn't do it. Lawyer effed me." Basically, everybody in here is is innocent. Right. Um, the one thing that needs to be kept in mind as well is, yeah, people who knew of him saw flashing money everywhere driving nice cars and everything else, well, number one, he's not the only uh, foreign exchange student to have driven a nice car. Here's what people don't fully realize and don't fully understand. Your foreign exchange students from Saudi Arabia are subsidized by the Saudi Arabian government. They give them a stipend every month to live off of while they're going to school overseas here in this country. And a lot of people don't understand that. So they're going to assume, well, he's got to be from some royal family, which... Which he wasn't, or it's been no, no established ties of him being royalty. I think, I think what's also problematic about this, I mean, I'm just looking at how the local national sources have handled this. I'm also looking at, I'm looking at it from a critical media standpoint, and there's so much emphasis on him being a Saudi national. I, yes. under, I, I understand that, you know, you don't every day hear a story about a foreign exchange student being involved in a high-profile uh, murder right. in a town, but there's so much emphasis. Almost every story that I've read makes sure to note he- that he's a Saudi he- Arabian Headline national. after headline after headline after headline. So, I mean, I think about if we were to sort of, you know, flip it, and if it was somebody, an, an international student from Italy or Spain or, or Poland or Russia or Germany, would the headline 
would every headline include that person's nationality? And I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, yeah. When I mean, if we take other events in which um, initially we don't really know much about um, the person who committed the crime, right. and you look at the coverage, you know, two weeks afterwards. I mean, with the Boston, like I, I look at like the Boston bombing, like everybody assumed that he that 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 the people who um, that the Sarnia brothers were just white Caucasian uh, people from a particular part of a former Russian territory. Mm-hmm. And then like two like immediately they're like, oh wait, he's they, they have some uh, family that live in Chechnya. Oh, Chechnya has been known to have Islamic extremism. And then and almost immediately at the drop of a hat that they make this association between dangerousness and being Muslim. Mm-hmm. And so every story that I'm looking at, I'm looking at it on a critical media standpoint. Every single story points to the fact that he's a Saudi Arabian national. Mm-hmm. Almost as if they're casually linking the association of criminality to being of a different ethnicity altogether. And I think, and do you think that is why the narrative has been so easy to buy into? Because my, my opinion, and I've, I've seen it firsthand, and I've talked about this on the air before, is that small towns breed an, a type of an insular mentality, a sense of a fortress-like mentality, and I think after this, you could even see that increase. And what goes along with that mentality is that, that small-town life is different from urban life because the people who bought into that narrative because of that state of insularity. And it's maintained by this desire for a social equilibrium that creates a distrust of the other and the more someone is the other or labeled with otherness the more suspicious the person becomes in the minds of people who take this small town insular and i would say narrow-minded mentality and if if you look at that mentality i mean this mentality isn't necessarily new um i mean it's it's very if you look at even dating back to just Cold War studies in general, with the label of otherness in terms of political affiliation. We mm-hmm. have we have the association of otherness with dangerousness mm-hmm. and the elimination of dangerousness in order to securitize our communities. Yeah. And when I say securitize, I don't mean like let's throw up the gates and let's arm all of our gates with, you know, military personnel with guns. I'm saying we we push p- people to the social periphery and suddenly it becomes so very easy to write them off. Mm-hmm. Now, what the, when, I first, when, I, when I heard of these charges, I was sitting on the third floor of the UCM library. And was this, uh, this was the, the, about the charges being dropped? About the charges the being dropped. Case. And I, I, I didn't really, like I said, I didn't really think much of it other than, well, the evidence that was presented so far has, has changed. I mean, Singletary being the only quote-unquote witness to this entire scheme has changed his story multiple times without any solid eyewitnesses um, uh, associating Singletary and a B to the scheme, or alternatively, that there is some massive falling out between Whitworth and a B and B making a direct threat to Whitworth. Um, I, I didn't really think much of it. I just thought the evidence was shaky. But what got me is that, is that I heard multiple people say that President Obama was here nine days ago. He masterminded the release of a bee. And it just infuriates me that that, that type of narrative is being postulated. And M- Mitchell, didn't you call this one about a week or so ago, two weeks ago, regarding the president's speech? I mean, I, I saw some memes floating around on Facebook of people saying that Obama is coming to to free him. I saw some memes floating around saying that. I didn't give much credence to it. I'm like, okay. And, and I, I, I read these comments, and I'm, okay. You might want to plug your ears for about a few seconds. Why? Why should I plug my ears? You invite me on the show and tell me to plug my ears. <laughs> this, is a, this is a maximum free speech zone, not a limited zone. Open, okay. that, open that can of worms. Okay. 
I look at alternative perspectives regarding many things. It, it reminds me of a Justice League episode. Um, are you familiar with the character The Question? No, uh, I'm not. No. Okay. The Question is a DC comic book character. You know, wears this little artificial face that basically, literally, is just nothing but skin, mm -hmm. where you can't see their face. And and the Huntress is contacting him, saying, "Hey, I think Black Canary's off her game. She she nearly got her butt kicked by a mug, or something's wrong here." And blah 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 blah. And it sort of reminds me of him on that cartoon show basically saying, look, I'm the conspiracy theorist here, and I see nothing. <laughs> you, you, you know my perspective on many, many things. And you know my perspective on a great many, many things. Um, some are compatible, some are not. Correct. You know, I, I, you know, I'm the type that talks about Bilderberg and things like that. And I'm looking at this, and I'm seeing, and people are making this connection, and I'm not seeing this connection. <laughs> mm -hmm. And what, what, what we've said, what I've seen before is, he wouldn't have even have to have, he wouldn't have had to come to town if, if he could do that. And I think if you're really trying to mastermind something, going to the hot spot a week before that happens... probably the worst possible thing you could do. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't even feel, I've, I've heard that, and I don't, I don't even feel the need to address it or, or talk about it. I really don't. Yeah, I, I am merely addressing it because, because the the linkage <clears throat> that that claim makes is so incredibly dangerous, myopic, and to me kind of racist. That it doesn't. I, 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 I wouldn't go that. I mean, it's just, I would. I wouldn't. I wouldn't identify it as racist per se. No, no, no. no because I mean, the association that was made was that. Ziana Bede is guilty that he that he put Singletary up to it. He might as well have blood on his hands, so to speak. And you know, since Ziad Abid is a Saudi Arabian national, and Barack Hussein Obama is our president, and those there, there's middle names, right? I mean, there's there's this association between being uh, either either being a Muslim or being Arabic, and all Muslims. And uh, and Arabs, you know, somehow coalesce together as opposed, to, like if there's just some unified movement. Well, if you, look at, if you, if each other. you look at Middle Eastern history and look at the the sectarian split between the Sunni and the Shia, you know that's not true. If you exactly. look at the Iraq Iran war that dominated throughout the 80s, you know that's not true. If you actually study Middle Eastern culture, you know there are differences among these different sects, and they, they don't all get along. There's often conflict between these different sects in Islam. And what's funny is, is I hear some people say, Obama's a Muslim, and other people say, Obama's a communist. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute. If memory serves, during the proxy wars, it was extremist Muslims that were opposed to communism. You know, the Mujahideen being uh, fu fully funded by the United States and fighting against the USSR. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just that, it, to me, it's just it's just absolute political expediency and and factual ignorance that are making these narratives. And they, and a lot of people who that who are going to criticize this episode are going to say, "Well, you're giving airtime to addressing this narrative, and you're giving because of that, you're giving credence to this narrative." No. What we're saying is that this narrative is absolutely false to the point that it this, to, to not call it out, to not say what it actually is, and just let this narrative just be known without question is just an extremely dangerous precedent that will be set. I'd like as far as you know, switching gears for a second, because a lot of you know the news coverage I've seen talks about. I, I think it was something I was reading online earlier that talks about the town being enraged. So if people have this narrative based on word of mouth that Abid was guilty, and in the minds of the people who have this narrative that this is a miscarriage of justice, yada, 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 what type of impact do you, do you foresee this having socially on the town what what grows from this if anything what grows from it is probably just more speculation about about 
about people from different cultures in general. Mm-hmm. I think. I mean, that we live in a currently we you know we're in Missouri. We live in a very conservative environment, even with UCM being not too far from here. It doesn't it doesn't get more red state than a place like this. Right. If you I mean just looking at voting habits and political persuasions persuasions in Missouri, Kansas City and St. Louis, mainly voting Democrat, that's the anomaly. That's right. and, the exception. And I'm not I'm not saying that we'll have more over acts of of racism and discrimination. What I'm saying is yeah, what I'm saying is that it's, it's going to be a little bit more covert. People are just going to be more speculative of people from different cultures, of people of different nationalities. And, and instead of actually calling into question the construction of these narratives and how and the implications of these narratives, we are just going to basically throw up our, our walls surrounding our own intellectual communities and bar any contradicting opinion or even factual account about what transpired in, in the Whitworth murder case. Um, I want to also mention that it's not just the prosecutor who decided to drop the charges. The people who were involved in this case, even I mean, even on the defense, and the, you know, the, some people are going to say, well, of course, Zach, the defense would just kind of dismiss these charges. They're the defense. They're trying to say that there isn't any evidence at all. But the, the vast majority of legal experts who have looked over this case have suggested that there wasn't ever this was an uphill battle to begin with. That mm-hmm. we're relying solely on Singletary's accounts of events, like we previously mentioned, they've changed multiple times, and which creates reasonable doubt. Which, which creates a, a substantial amount of reasonable doubt. I mean, we're not just talking about one percent reasonable doubt. We're talking about like there is no possible way that you can trust a witness. And that being your lead witness starting off your case, who has changed his account multiple times. Now, to be clear, there's still a wrongful death case that could be had that Whitworth's parents, Whitworth's loved ones, can present against the beat. Um, and it's similar to that of what happened, what's currently happening with the Zimmerman uh, mm-hmm. aftermath. That although although second-degree murder, I think it was manslaughter, was ruled out, that the family of the deceased can still present a wrongful death claim. I'm not sh- There's been no, um, no statement from the Whitworth family or others to suggest that that is a course of action that's going to be pursued. They said that they're going to rely on the justice system. As our um, introductory clip said, they're going to rely on the justice system in order to... Um, uh, in order to uh, resolve this issue. But I think now that the onus is going to be placed on, on Singletary, um, I mean, we, have, we have his admittance to, or him admitting to the murder. And I think that's ultimately going to be pretty damning for him. He will, because he admitted to the murder previously, um, he's probably going to be getting life without parole. Yeah. The thing to be clear about this on this is um, he has waived his right to a speedy trial. So, again, um, so, and, um, wow, I'm hesitating way too much. So, anyway, what's, so what do you think? Do you think they're going to bring a suit against? I, I don't think that there's, I, I don't think there's a, they're going to probably play out the charges presented against Singletary. Like I previously said, Singletary admitted to authorities that he had shot Whitworth. Now, there's an interesting notion here because if Singletary was brought in, um, and depending on the circumstances of the interrogation, if there is the notion... I mean, I've talked about previously that that although Singletary admitted to shooting Whitworth, some sources saying that he issued a plea of not guilty, depending on how he was interrogated, that is that's still a compatible strategy because he the the him admitting to it could have been coerced from authorities. Um, and if Singletary can prove 
that the uh, that is admitting to the murder was coerced, then by state and federal statute, his testimony can be thrown out. That's a critical thing because absent absent his statements and absent the presence of a single eyewitness to the murder, there is no evidence now on the table for the prosecution to roll with, other than other than they can take um, they can take the the slug from Whitworth's body and make a metallurgical match to the gun that Singletary used um, and can then link him to the murder. That can still happen, um, but at least, like I said, if they if they can prove that the admitting to the murder was coerced, that testimony that's just less evidence the prosecution is able to leverage in court. And Mitchell, you said this was kind of a this was a tangled web, right? Yeah, it's a mess on so many different angles: uh, judicious level, social level, media level. It's a mess. And that's one of the biggest problems we're dealing with. Um, when you hire somebody to do something, normally there's a money trail involved. It sounds like they weren't even able to have that. They had no money trail. We have no, we have no evidence of one. There, there's no paper trail linking a bead to the murder. There's Singletary's account of the events that happened. Um, a bead, from what I understand from what uh, him speaking to authorities and this the information that is in local and regional sources, Abid hasn't said a word um, incriminating him or Singletary in the events. We don't, I mean, the thing about it is what is so strange is, and, you know, even talking to John Hansen about this, who we've had on a couple episodes before, used to write for the Sedalia Democrat. He recently moved to Florida and was writing for a, a paper, working for a paper down there. He said it was strange to go to for a murder case to go this long without a presented motive. Right. And that's strange. That's really bizarre to me. And I think what we uh, I mean what we have now we I mean the statements that were presented by the lead prosecution I think are I think the last name is Stoppy. Um, Lynn Stoppy, that's Lynn Stoppy. Name, right. Said that the the re- the recent understanding of of the evidence. Let me see if I can actually pull up the statement here. Um, I have, I have it. Is it yeah, very, very recently, our understanding of evidence previously obtained from a critical witness has changed. As a result, the state is currently left without sufficient evidence to support its, uh, the prosecution at this time. Could, when I saw that, it's still, the fog is still there. Could you be any more obtuse with this statement? Well, I think, uh, I mean, there's, the, like I said already, that the case presented against Abid was an uphill battle from the get-go. Everybody who has looked at the case suggests that the evidence, you know, it's the, the there just wasn't any evidence. There was the dominant narrative that Abid hired uh, Singletary to shoot Whitworth. That was a narrative that was circulated to ad nauseum, and now that there isn't any evidence to support I've got it, an example. Oh. Now that there isn't any evidence to support it, I think that's where people's frustrations that, are. That that brings up, it's kind of like, I think, people, whenever, it's like, I mean, it almost is like, whenever somebody's worldview is challenged, I think there's going to be a resistance to that. Like, not to make light of it, but like somebody waking up and finding out that Santa Claus isn't real. But I think there's, the narrative was crystallized early on, like, and I, I immediately, whenever I got up on Friday and I saw charges dismissed, it felt like a, a dream or a Twilight Zone episode of seeing that. And I thought, does charges dismissed mean what charges dismissed actually mean means? And I clicked on it and I'm like, yeah, the charges have really been dismissed. That runs counter. It collides head on with the, the dominant narrative. I think there's, you know, the media has a hand in, in feeding that, and in some cases, crystallizing this. What we have on episode 14 uh, is, it was an opinion that we put on our site. It's an opinion piece from the Mule Skinner called The Saudi Side of Things. It's it's still on for those of you who want to see it. Mysterious, or some, not really mysteriously, but it's not on the archive section 
on the, the digital bug that archives all the other articles from Neil Skinner. We had to scan it from a print copy I had, and the closing paragraph of it is now grounds for a lawsuit. I'll go ahead and read it if you guys don't mind. Sure. Uh, it's an opinion piece, and the, the student reporter who wrote it, her name is Courtney Munns, uh, she had interviewed Saudi students, and it did, I said, said, said before, it did a good job in showing that uh, the ac accused actions, that does not represent an entire community. I'll, I'll just read the last paragraph of it. It's, I think that Youssef told what he felt and what he knew best, but I do still believe there are Saudis who do feel discriminated against. I hope that in this day and age, people will still be kind to them recognizing they aren't the culprit in the situation. I'm not excusing Zabid's crime by any means, but only trying to pave the way for more tolerance for the innocent. Wow. In light of, in light of Friday's actions, that is grounds for a lawsuit. That is, that, wait, that wait, is sloppy journalism. How, how so? What is your take, uh, at least contextualizing that last paragraph? What is... Yeah, the lie, well, why is it, it's grounds for a lawsuit because I'm not excusing Ziad's crime. It's saying he did it. Right. When there's no if basic uh, elements of news reporting 101, you need to assert alleged in front of that. Or what you're looking at now in the after Friday's events of what crime? The ruling by the court. Was, the ruling by the courts was that there's not enough evidence to tie him to the crime, making this article that we've been nice enough to archive on our site grounds for a lawsuit. And it does, and, it, and it kind of brings us back to the discussion that we have about about how these dominant narratives just become crystallized, especially in local communities. The almost since day one, there was this narrative that Ziada Bead was at least in negotiations with Whitworth, either to co-own or to buy a bar from Whitworth. Mm -hmm. And that those negotiations fell through. Um, Singletary was hired by a bead to shoot Whitworth. Um, and after the crime happened, Whitworth and a bead, or I'm sorry, a bead and um, Singletary were brought in and charged, formally charged. Now, based on the, based on the language of that article, it already suggests that Abid was guilty before he even stood mm -hmm. trial. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really problematic uh, for a lot of different reasons because, I mean, if it, it assumes people's guilt before before mm -hmm. before even a, before even a jury it's, was selected. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, no, it's I mean, a, yeah, this dates to sep, sep, I think September. That's, that's a no-no. That is a big no-no. Right, and even I, in the context of an opinion piece, even in the context of an of an op-ed article, where someone has lead way to state their opinion, state their position, that's a no-no. Right, and I think what it does, like you previously mentioned, is that it leaves the university open, or at least leaves the mule skinner open to a lawsuit, because again, it presumes someone's guilt. It's 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 a writer stating he is guilty. Right, and at, at the very least, you know potential charges can be brought up against the writer. Mm -hmm. um, whether the, I mean, I think the university will obviously be implicated because the university sponsors the Mule Skinner, mm -hmm. who in then turn made the decision to bring that reporter on for an op-ed piece and then publish the op-ed piece. Mm -hmm. um, Another example of editors not being on their A-game. It, it is. And I think, um, I think at this point, uh, a lot of people... At UCM, that we're just we're just not looking critically at the type of language that's used in creating a narrative and the implications that the narrative actually holds mm -hmm. for people who were charged with first-degree murder and then later on um, released because there isn't evidence strong enough evidence to present mm -hmm. before them. Now, like I've already previously mentioned, this episode um, is is going to have a lot of different reactions by a lot of different people. We, I think it is. Uh, we're trying to present alternative viewpoints and and dismiss some viewpoints that have just not been substantiated I think, I think at the, this point. The goal, of, as far as what I'm trying to do, is to look at things critically and logically. Like I talked about with the Zimmerman case, it's not even about 
in that case, right or wrong, or what you feel is right or wrong, it's about the evidence presented. The evidence presented in that case created reasonable doubt. We have a, a lack of evidence in this case that also creates reasonable doubt. I don't like the idea of a society in which people can be convicted strictly on word of mouth. That was commonplace in the Soviet Union. I and, don't. I, I don't like the idea of living with something like that. And I'll, and there's been a a lot of people that have already said to you that he should have stood trial. If he's innocent, a jury would have found him innocent. And I'm just like, there wasn't evidence to even bring it to trial. Mm -hmm. Yet you're already presuming his guiltiness. And and so, I I agree with you. I think it. I think it's really, really troubling that we've already, we've already said that that a B was guilty prior to evidence being gathered. Because well if, if it could be him, well then theoretically, it could, it could be anybody. Right. To, to, I mean, Singletary's account has changed so many times that it literally could be anybody at this point. And, and here's one of the things that were few things that were overlooked. Mitchell brought this up in the episode that we first started talking about this. One, um, Singletary was employed under Whitworth until right. the week before the murder. Mm -hmm. Now, this is kind of through the grapevine. So if it's just, um, but, I mean, seriously, before you go into whatever you have to go through, if it's just through the grapevine without hard evidence, that's no different than saying... Oh, he was trying to buy the bar, this or that. I mean, I yeah. don't even know what you're right. saying, no, but I mean, as far like, as... But local, local and regional outlets have said that Singletary was employed by Whitworth. Well, no, what, what you we, were getting ready to... What Thomas was... Well, you should, I just want you to go ahead and say it. Well, Let us through the grapevine. That Whit, the reason why Singletary was fired was because he... You now, allegedly, he was caught trying to steal from one of his bars, which... And it, if that were the case, that would be grounds for termination. Right, and it would fit with the pattern of criminal behavior. And the thing is, um, if that's the case, that pattern would indicate that, well, you, if somebody's willing to steal, they're, they may be willing to do other things that they may not have considered, like throwing somebody who was their roommate and that's another thing that people don't realize. Those two were roommates at one point. Um, found this out through... And the first time that came to light was through the AP article by Bill Draper. And I've noticed that piece of info was left out prior to that. Every single report now after the AP article by Bill Draper mentions that. Right. And everything else. So... To say, oh, well, he paid me to do it, where was the money? If if alleged payment involved just paying the rent for that month, that's, it's, it just boggles my mind. And I appreciate you bringing that to light, because that was, were it not for somebody from the AP coming in and finding this out, who knows, nobody would have known, because he kept, <laughs> I... I kept posting links to that article saying, hey, uh, it's more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. And people that I would normally find open-minded are saying, oh, this is this is crazy. This for real? And I'm like, uh, yeah. The whole, I mean, the whole, I think that the whole thing is crazy. Like I've said before, if I was to summarize, and I, I think to a certain extent, I, I think we won't know the full story. Well, we'll never know the full story. I mean... It's a the, mess. Like I said evidence, before, it's a mess. Whatever evidence that we do have at this point, Singletary's account, which is some of the only evidence that we have at this point, has changed. Other evidence has either been either been um, just not presented or destroyed or in one way or another just not be, not able to be attained by the prosecution. And I think, I think old for me, as someone who's interested in how the media shapes and controls different messages and presents different narratives, for me the most troubling thing about it is the constant, almost obsessive 
need to put that Ziada B was a Saudi Arabian national as if that's supposed to qualify who, like, the, the, his actions in, mm-hmm. or his implication in this murder. Like, because we've made this kind of cognitive link between violence and being of a different ethnic origin, that somehow, and that, that ethnic origin is not white Caucasian, that somehow, like, we're just, uh, it just seems to me that we just make kind of these lazy associations between groups of people some, and some, some what behavior that they're likely to do. So Some do. Not everyone. But, um, so two questions for everybody here. Uh, one, do you, do you think that um, the university will be sued over that article that we scanned in? I, I, I don't know. It, it's grounds for a lawsuit. If me, if I was accused of something and then uh, later not enough evidence surfaced to go to trial and a publication had wrote that I had committed a crime with a I, I would go through with a lawsuit, but that's that's just me. It is it is grounds for a lawsuit, but if a bead and his family would present a lawsuit against the mule skinner, against the reporter or against the university, a bead's family would have to establish convincing evidence to suggest that that article was defamatory in a way that led to demonstrable harm. Mm-hmm. Or um, without without that, I mean, I'm sure a beat in his family at this point just wants to get this event behind him as quickly as possible, and so dragging, getting dragged into another court case involving a beat's implication in this murder is probably not even on the radar radar mm-hmm. at this point. Now, it does, I guess that would just be my response, right? Yeah, I mean, if if you know five ten years from now, if a beat can't even find a job in the United States because of his because of either that article or somebody citing that article directly or at least the nominative narrative that was promoted by the article, mm-hmm. then I think that would open up grounds for a lawsuit. At this point I don't think that lawsuit's gonna come right, anytime right. soon. Um other question which you nearly slipped my mind. I think this still slipping my mind. Well wow. Oh man, it slipped my mind. Well wow. <laughs> But wait. So, what what is y'all's take from this um, at this point? Um, what can we do better in terms of things like this? I don't. I don't think we can do anything better. I think. I mean, as I've said before, I'm gonna like a broken record. It's a mess. I think, in many ways, it shows this town's true colors, and it strengthens my resolve to get the credits I need. To graduate and get out of here, um, I think there. I, I take a little bit more of a more relaxed view on this um, in uh, comparison to Mitchell. I think that there is some positive ground to be made, but it's definitely ground that's going to be a hard-fought battle in order to attain. The idea, the idea is associating groups of people with certain criminal behavior. Unil- I would say unilaterally. Right. Yeah. That's something that can be contested, and that can be contested in a myriad of different ways. About uh, in ways that call out these news organizations or call out these political and social groups, or even these individuals who are making these associations between ethnic groups and patterns of behavior, and just calling them out for what they are. And like a said, lot of, in some cases, I think uh, patterns do exist. That's why I, I said. Uh, you know, unilaterally, as far as blanket statements, to make gratuitous assumptions right. without evidence. Right, and I mean, there is, there if if so, if an individual is let's say commits a murder, and we all know that a person committed a murder, we would say based on their history that person is more likely to to commit another murder than somebody who's never murdered before. Mm. That's that's a claim substantiated by someone's history by evidence of a particular mm-hmm. thing but we're what i'm talking what i'm speaking to is is the leaps that almost quantum leaps made in associations between groups entire groups of people and the behavior that one group from or one person from that particular group makes mm-hmm. like we we uh, it just reminds me of everything that happened like immediately following 9 11 
where we just said, you know, all these people were from the Middle East, all these people were from Yemen, all these people, or most of them were from Yemen or Saudi Arabia, and look at what they did to us. As opposed, I think people who aren't educated about uh, differences and uh, an actual diversity in the Middle East, that uh, as opposed to an extremist segment or slice, they blame the whole as opposed to having an understanding of that segment or slice that did it. And what I'm what I'm meaning here when we're saying that there are grounds for contestation is that when I say that we can critically investigate how these associations are made in an effort to expose what are some of the implications or extrapolations that can be made from these claims, we can we can call them out for what they are, and what they are are just are just leaps in cognition. They're they're literally painting an entire group as exhibiting certain behaviors. Now, sometimes in making that claim, it is heavily influenced by one's predisposition um, towards particular groups. Somebody could have be racist towards a particular group. Not all the people who make these claims are racist or sexist or anything like that. But what they are doing is is basically being within the same camp as these people. That they just... Um, that they're making these same logical associations that ultimately leads to the conclusion of making a racist or sexist claim about a person or group. Do you think that the focus... finally remembered this question. Do you think the focus is going to go back onto the person who admitted to pulling the trigger? I think... In Warrensburg, the, there's always going to be Ziada B, a Saudi Arabian national, implicated in this murder. I, I, I don't think that we can talk about this trial in a small town without mentioning Ziada B. Mm-hmm. And it's because that this whole event, I, I say that it has a, a racial connotation only because Whitworth is is white, and the people who perpetrated the crime are of different um, ethnic backgrounds. That's that's all I mean when I say it has racial undertones. Mm-hmm. It's not like Zimmerman where we have that's like, the elephant a racial profile. Well, what, you, what you've said before, that's the elephant in the room that a lot of people don't want to address. But if you look at the comments that were on the Blaze, Glenn Beck's website, it is exactly what you were talking about in in that and reactionary statements not even focusing on the logistics or circumstances of the exactly. trial. Well, and in that case, I think that should wrap it up. It's a mess. It, yeah. So, until next time, uh, entertain yourself, educate yourself, empower yourself. Thanks for listening. Check us out at thenextreport.com where you can find every other place where online, all sorts of social networks. Until next week, thanks everybody for listening. This has been another exciting episode of the Next Report Podcast with your hosts Thomas Holbrook II, Mitchell Brown, and Zach Dodson. Our website is thenextreport.com where you may view show notes and listen to our other podcasts as well as consume other content. The intro to the show is from J.T. Bruce's Plunge into Hyperreality, a part of his album Dreamer's Paradox, available under Creative Commons at gemendo.com. We are on other social networks such as YouTube, Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Google+. Remember to entertain yourself, educate yourself, and empower yourself.